Hello again, and welcome to Around Our Schools, a local KMUN program that seeks to inform listeners about opportunities and programs that help to make education such an important factor in a healthy community. I am Sarah Meyer. Margaret Fremuth and I have had five interviews surrounding Clatsop Community College. We've learned about career training programs and degree opportunities and how the college cooperates with other local schools. Clatsop Community College is student-centered and we heard how broad those services are. We tied in how the Small Business Development Center works with the Clatsop Economic Development Center making better businesses. Well-trained and educated employees, successful owners and citizens finding lifelong learning opportunities provide us all with a sense of a safe social system to thrive in. We have talked about the whys of learning and how important that is. Today we hear about the costs. This interview with Vice President Finance and Operations, Joanne Zahn, will help us understand how this public institution is financed. At the June board meeting, the College Board authorized a property tax rate of .7784 cents per $1,000 of assessed property values in Clatsop County. Those dollars, along with monies that the college receives from the Oregon budget and monies from our national budget and student tuition and fees, set a $15,678,307 general fund requirement for the 2021-22 year. So let's begin. Welcome, Vice President Joanne Zahn. Will you tell us about yourself and what brought you to Clatsop Community College? I joined uh, Clatsop Community College in August of 2011, so just about 10 years ago. And um, prior to that, I worked 21 years at Mount Hood Community College. I was really fortunate. I really didn't think that I would be joining Clatsop at that time because I was only halfway done with my master's in business administration. And, but that was one of the things that I was able to accomplish in my first year was the completion of the MBA. We had a really struggle um, that first um, year, two years, with financial challenges. And uh, it was because of state support being so low after the 2008 recession. And so we had a lot of um, resetting that we had to do to be able to live within our resources and be sustainable over time. And it's really been a 10-year process. We've really just in the last two or three years gotten to that targeted 15% ending fund balance for the general fund, which has been critical for the success of our cash flow, for example. We had for years to ha had to borrow through the Oregon School Board Association um, cash flow service that they had where we could um, borrow money that would get us through July and the October payrolls to be able to wait for our November um, tax payments. So we now have that 15% um, slightly above that now for the general fund, which has really helped the college. And even through the pandemic, it's been critical, but also um, being able to utilize the funds that we'll talk about later that we've received from the federal government um, as part of the Higher Education Emergency Relief Fund has been incredible. So all of those things have really been part of a really exciting 10-year um, career here at Clatsop. So tell me about how you came to Clatsop. So I was really fortunate that I had um, a mentor who was in fact the interim VP at the time here. Uh, who uh, reached out to me by phone and I think I had every excuse in the book of why I wouldn't be able to make a move two hours from my home and um, you know again wasn't done with my MBA I, I said no multiple times and uh, he just continued to say this was the right fit it would be a perfect um, 
uh, work environment, uh, small school on the North Coast, what's better than that? And uh, so I did a couple visits before even applying. And uh, having gone through the interview process, um, it was an amazing day. Uh, it was all day long and um, there was an immediate con connection not only with the president at that time, Dr. Galizio, um, but also just uh, employees. It was just a great experience. And so um, that really was the, uh, the reason. It was because someone really made the effort to want me to be here and reached out in that fashion. So I just heard something that you had raspberries on your farm. Yes. Do you still have that? Well, we, we don't have the over 30 acres that was the farm at the time I was growing up, um, but um, there is still about a quarter acre that is regularly um, picked by my mom and my sister for the most part. I have not picked raspberries in a long time. I can tell you that there were times that I would see raspberries at night when I slept, as all I could see was raspberries. So I'm not a big fan, in fact, of raspberries uh, as a result of that. Um, but particularly on these hot, hot days, um, being out in a berry field was not uh, my idea of fun when I was in high school. <laughs> so you have a farm life before you have a campus life. I, yes, I grew up on an 84-acre working farm. We raised um, black Angus cattle and um, uh, raspberries. And if, at one point, we had a very large rhubarb field as well. It was very fun. I mean, I've had horses all my life, and if it weren't for the horses, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed the farm life as much as I did. Horses, wow. I always dreamed of horses. So we have so much to cover and so little time. So let's, let's get in and talk about money. Joanne, what is the budget and how are the dollars raised? So um, we have uh, a budget that was adopted, just over $45 million. And of that, about 15 and a half million is the general fund. And so that general fund budget is what represents our employees, salaries and fringe benefits. And um, the other resources that come in to provide that 15.5 million is um, tuition and fees, represents about 15% uh, of the budget. Uh, we have property taxes and we have state support. And that's known as total public resources. And that amount has continued to grow. Uh, we have almost $5 million annually in property taxes. And then we get um, another anywhere from four to $4.5 million from state support. And so that's the majority of the general fund. We also have about $450,000 of timber revenue that makes up that fund, and then some other you know, fees, course fees, um, things that are um, minor in the total picture of that um, general fund budget. And now we have a carryover of about $2 million annually. And that's what is so important. That's that 15% I mentioned and how critical that is for cash flow until the property taxes come in in November. Wow. So how do those budget dollars, that 15 million, how does that get set every year? That is established through a budgeting process, and it is an annual process um, required by Oregon budget law. And um, we have what's called the Budget Advisory Committee, and that's a committee made up of all constituents of the college. It has full-time faculty, part-time faculty, classified employees, um, administrators, uh, service and supervisory employees. It's made up of about um, 
16 different individuals, and everyone's welcome to attend. But those are the voting members. And then, of course, the president. Ultimately, it's the president that sets the budget and that brings that to the, the Board of Education for approval and adoption. And um, uh, that process begins in November. There's really no stop when it comes to budget. You adopt a budget in June for a July start, and you start over again for the next year in November. You have to have it ready to go by mid-March, and then it's to the budget committee by um, early May. And um, so it, it is a um, long process. It's something that is ground up, but you start with what you have. We do not have a zero-based budget. A zero-based budget is where you start over every year. Everybody has to justify every dollar. We start with what's continued, considered a continuation budget, and that continuation budget essentially allows for everyone that's currently employed, where are they on the salary schedule, and you establish the next budget of where they'd be in the next fiscal year, and then you build around that, and you identify, do you have enough projected revenue to support that and still have your carryover amount, that 15%, and so that's how it is then presented to the budget committee, which is made up of seven appointed members as well as the seven board of education members. I didn't know it was such a long ongoing process. I think that that needs to be clarified even more to those of us that are supportive of this college. So can you talk now a little bit about the federal grant funded programs? And so we have several grants that are ongoing, the TRIO programs, um, Upward Bound, those are um, typically um, federal grants that are applied for on a five-year cycle and they are then um, evaluated for the support they provide to the students that they're required to um, serve. And then they're evaluated, they're scored, and then as they go for either additional funds or new grant application, that data is incredibly important for them to be able to show that they're meeting the needs of the students they're serving. For example, a first-time college student, they have to be able to um, show that they're serving those students and those students are being successful. And that's really how they continue those grants. And we have been incredibly uh, uh, successful here at Clatsop in having very good directors of the programs and who are able to then um, not only serve those students but keep those ongoing grants to serve those future students as well. Do we get grants renewed every year or is it a cycle? It depends on the grant. And so they are cycles, so for example, the TRIO grant, the Upward Band grant, those are typically on a three to five year cycle. It just depends on how they've been awarded. Um, but there are annual grants. Um, there are things that are through not only the federal, grant, the federal government, but also the state, and some go from the federal government to the state government, then to us. So it just depends on how those are awarded. Uh, it really depends on the donor, um, and then also for the federal government. Um, Oregon Promise is a little bit different. Um, it's been an annual now that they've gotten it established, so that's an annual renewal, although the amount is going to be based on the number of students that are eligible to participate. So that money that comes, like the Oregon Promise, goes directly to students with an overhead coverage? Well, it depends. Um, it is part of their whole package. For, uh, and it's based on their earnings, either their personal earnings or their family earnings. And um, from uh, each, each student is different, and it's going to depend on a lot of different factors. Income is a big part of it, um, but there's also there's need grants, but there's also um, recognition 
awards. There's all kinds of different things. And then there's, of course, federal loans, if someone were to do loans. Uh, that, has some, that has been something that has really decreased in the last few years, that there's been more uh, basically those dollars that are helping students succeed. So not just tuition fees, textbooks, they're getting some living expenses too, and that all helps in that total package so they don't have to work as much or at all. Okay, so the college has also received dollars to help survive the pandemic. Can you tell us about how much those dollars are? Yes, uh, the college has received three separate awards. Um, the first two are part of the Higher Education Emergency Relief um, Act that was um, instituted over the course of the last year. And then the third one is the American Rescue Plan that was just initiated in uh, late December. And the total amount received in those awards, and, and so when I say total amount awarded, it hasn't been drawn down from the federal government yet because we haven't used it all, but it's $3.5 million. Um, about $580,000 is um, going to be used to make the college whole for tuition and fees, events we would have had as well as losses for the bookstore had there not been this funding from the state and and the federal government associated with the pandemic we would not have been able to continue at current service levels as difficult as the last year has been there have been a few things that have just made it possible to get through this and be stronger in the end and one of those is related to technology. There's been an incredible investment in, in technology, both on campuses as well as strengthening the internet, the Wi-Fi for students, whether they came up and utilized their cars to do some of their homework so they had that Wi-Fi if they didn't have it at home, to be able to do their Zoom classes. There was a significant number of um, laptops purchased um, that were then loaned out to students. Um, those things weren't possible before, but clearly they showed that there was a need even before the pandemic. And I think that has been one of the greatest eye-opening things here is what we can do remotely um, and then the infrastructure behind it that's been improved greatly because of the federal dollars that have become available and eligible for those funds. And so just to clarify with those funds, there are very specific requirements of what is eligible and what is not because there will be multiple audits, not only with probably the Department of Education associated with these grants, but also just in our, on, in our annual financial audit. Um, so those are all things that are um, uh, an important part of that $3.5 million. I find it really interesting that we are here to educate a community and a students that we are student-centered and how many people beyond direct faculty it takes to make that happen. Can you talk just a little bit about the uh, Small Business Student Development Center and tell us how that is funded because it's, it is part of us, but it's not funded by us. And so property taxes um, certainly pay for a portion of what the college overall financial um, uh, platform is. However, there are many programs that are grant funded or funded through other um, ways. And the Small Business Development Center at South County um, Center in um, Seaside is an example of one of those grant funded um, programs and also um, they're reimbursed for their FTE associated with that. And so we're tracking that full-time equivalent student and then they get an allocation of that as well. Uh, it is evaluated on an annual basis through the budget process. It just happens to be accounted for in the grant 
and financial aid fund. Um, it is not part of the general fund. So it's not technically part of a um, property tax assessment or a, um, uh, any type of general obligation bond, for example. So you mentioned headcount and FTE. Can you explain the difference between that for us? Um, headcount is the total number of individuals the college serves. And that's typically over 5,000 people every year. Uh, and then there's full-time equivalency. That's based on 510 clock hours. And so that is counted for the purpose of reimbursement at the state level. In that full-time equivalency, there is reimbursable FTE, and then there's non-reimbursable. And so community education back in 2003 was defunded completely except for health, safety, and economic development. And so that's why a lot of um, changes have happened to community education. Each course that has to be evaluated when they're established of what will be the funding stream for that. And so that sets into trying to find more classes that more people can take and having a group that is looking at additional credit courses or community ed courses. Are there committees that work on that that you know of or is that something that we just at the end of a budget system say, hey, we need to have another credit class? Well, it's really based on demand and, um, and changing trends. Um, and so um, cybersecurity, for example, is a really um, developing field. Um, a lot more um, colleges in Oregon are now starting to develop those. We don't currently have a cybersecurity um, program and we may not in the future. Um, that's one of the things at the state level they look at. They won't just renew or create a um, new program without an evaluation of is there jobs and is there going to be the value within the region that is being considered. And um, they don't want all of the schools to offer the same programs if there's not enough students interested or jobs for them to fill. So they really look at that. But on an individual basis for the college, it's really the instructional team. Um, so the Vice President of Academic Affairs, as well as the deans, um, directors that are working with instruction that make those determinations. And we're really fortunate. Oregon has a really strong uh, groups of um, experts within their fields that meet on a regular quarterly basis, whether it's business officers for finance, um, academic um, VPs and deans. And so there's a lot of sharing internally each institution, but also across the state. And so best practices, um, and we get that both from state and national level. So it can be internally what it is that faculty and staff say is important for this area as well as from the state saying we need to look at future trends. Yes. Hope we have enough money. Yeah, and economics is a big piece of that, is a really, really big piece as what, um, and, ha and how the state um, wants to be able to provide as many options for students as possible. But in the end, it's where is the economic benefit for those communities um, and making sure that there's the, uh, staffing available. The nursing program is a great example. Um, there was a recent article um, um, that CMH had about how incredibly important the nursing program is for their hospital and how many of the nurses trained here at Clatsop Community College are at um, CMH. And that's just one small example, but how critical, you know, if that nursing program didn't exist, what would be the impact locally? And that's just a perfect example. On that other perfect example, if we look out at the Mertz campus and all of the licensing that goes on out there, and those are different fee-based 
not really credit-based classes, correct? It depends. Um, there are, it's a combination because there is the fire science degree, there's the maritime science degree, so there are degree-based courses um, and students there. But there's also those that come in for the licensors, like you mentioned, and safety is a big part of that, but there's many other types of certifications that I'm not um, exactly an expert in by any means, but um, there are a lot of like 40-hour trainings where individuals come in locally as well as um, uh, from the outer regions to be able to complete those certifications. And they have to renew regularly. Okay, let's look physically at Classic Community College today. Can you tell us about the three campuses, what exists, and what bonds we're still making payments on? And what's the asset value, if you know? And we talked about how many people were employed. Um, let's review that again a little bit. Okay. Well, I'll start with the employees. And so, as I mentioned earlier, there's about 115 full-time employees. But I didn't mention that we have probably over 300 employees because of the hourly employees as well as the um, part-time faculty who um, are, are very much a big part of the, the college. And they may work only one term a year. They may work all three terms. Um, they are limited um, for part-time instruction to about half of a full-time employee. It's um, pretty impressive to know that over 300 people are employed in some capacity on an annual basis at the college. And our overall assets are about $45 million. And that's depreciated number. Um, and um, when you think of since 2009, um, the investments that have been made in the Lexington campus is a, almost $50 million. It is Columbia Hall being brand new, Patriot Hall being brand new, opened in 2017. Uh, the building we're in now, Toller Hall, was completely renovated and, and opened again in 2010. And this is a building that was built in 1911. And so it's really impressive. Um, that's one of the great things about our um, somewhat small community college, we're the fourth smallest in Oregon, is we have fairly small classrooms, which also just, it's been a, somewhat of a challenge during the pandemic because of the space limitations. Um, but in a normal situation, our average classroom is less than 20. And that is really great for education, to have that one-on-one -on -one with an with a instructor um, to that level. So also from a standpoint of our, um, our bonds, um, we're really fortunate that the community has supported the college in a fabulous way. So first in 2009, the community was asked to pass a $5 million bond and it was for um, development of what was at that time called the Jerome Campus. And that was for $8 million and it was to match the $8 million the state was providing for Patriot Hall. And so that 2015 bond um, is also a general obligation bond paid by taxpayers. So we have those two that are general obligation bonds. And the college only has one full faith and credit obligation remaining as debt for the college. It's about $2.5 million that remains. And that will be paid in full as of 2026. And that amount is about $550,000 annually. Um, and that is an, it's a manageable debt payment. We're very fortunate. Many institutions have greater debt than we do. Um, it is something that's in our annual financial report, and um, there's a lot of information um, related to debt associated with the college if anyone's interested in seeing more. And our financial reports as well as budget are all included on the, well, the website for the college under About CCC. So I encourage anyone that has interest in learning more to um, take a look at our website. There's a lot of information there. 
So we have had a Mertz campus and there was, I think it was in 2017, a plan made to have a new building built and talked about. Can you address that a little bit on what is happening today and what might happen in the future and what what concerns there are? Sure. And so um, the Maritime Science Building uh, was about 2017, I believe was the time frame. It was the 1719 biennium when the legislature approved that project. We originally were going to turn the current Maritime Science Building that was originally built in 2006 at the Mertz campus into a two-story. It was going to become um, twice as big. But that particular plan did not um, become feasible. So we went back to the legislature and asked for a new building. And that was approved at the legislative level, including the ability to uh, utilize part of the $8 million match as the purchase of the Mertz property land. And that land was recently purchased from the Department of State Lands um, for $826,000. And that was um, something that was completed in 2020. Uh, so now the college owns the land, it doesn't have the lease. That also made it possible to be able to do this new building because one of the requirements was is either having a 99-year lease on the property, which we did not have, or ownership of the property. And um, there was a, a committee that was formed um, that included board members as well that um, started talking about the concept of the building. And we worked with SRG Incorporated, which is a uh, Portland-based architect firm. You may be aware of them. They are the architects that created the master plan in 2008. They also um, were the architects for Columbia Hall and all of the work that was done, including Patriot Hall. They also were the designers for the work that has already been complete associated with the Maritime Science Building on the Mertz campus. Um, the design has been complete. Not everybody likes it. Now, I can be very honest with that. Not everybody likes the design, um, but I will say, as being part of that group that discussed the key principles to start that project, they wanted a nationally recognized building to be able to really showcase the great work the Maritime Program does. It's an amazing opportunity to have $8 million from the state, the college the opportunity to match $8 million, just as Patriot Hall. And I think if anybody looks at Patriot Hall and says, if we could have a building at the Mertz campus that is at the same caliber of Patriot Hall, that seems pretty incredible. And how that would be a you know 50 plus year building for not only Clatsop Community College, the Mertz program, but Maritime. I do wanna make sure I do not leave out the other four million because you will see in the budget over $20 million in the budget for this project. And it's related to capital campaign and the desire to be able to have state-of-the-art equipment. It is also all of the wonderful things that are maritime and CTE, really that career technical education, but really would be a wonderful showcase because it would be the first state-of-the-art building on the campus. Wow, thank you. This is amazing. So Joanne, do you have any wrap-up comments? Well, I thank you for this opportunity. Um, as you probably know, I. I live and breathe finance and 
budget and operations associated with the Clatsop Community College. It, it, it's something that just comes naturally because of having the opportunity to, to be here for the last 10 years. And so I am in my final week as the Vice President of Finance and Operations and um, I've had a wonderful 30 plus year career in Oregon Community Colleges. And so these last 10 years really have been incredible. Uh, they've been an opportunity for me personally to grow, um, but also to see others grow. Um, I'm proud to say that we have um, many current employees who are former students. And um, I think we're really fortunate for that. And, um, and that goes for people who have full-time jobs in, um, in other fields potentially, but they come back and teach. So if people are out there who um, have those credentials to be able to teach and might want to do something, check into it. There are opportunities. Reach out. Um, so with that, wow. I thank you. Well, I thank you, Joanne Zahn and Margaret Fremeth. I personally want to thank Joanne for her years of service and wish her well in her new ventures. So summer school is happening. Many junior and seniors in county high schools are taking a free class at the college. Seaside School District is taking their bookmobile to Cannon Beach on Tuesdays, Seaside on Wednesdays, and Gearhart on Thursdays. Take advantage of all that surrounds us and enjoy being a contributor to your community. Next month, around our schools will begin learning about the Tongue Point Job Corps Center. You may listen to past interviews by going to the KMUN website. Thanks to KMUN for allowing us to share our interviews regarding schools. This is Sarah Meyer saying, have a great summer.